Well, I uh, want to welcome you here to Big Valley Grace, uh, especially those of you that are visiting. If you are visiting with us, uh, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're going through what is called the, the Book of Ephesians. And we call it the Book of Ephesians, but really it was a letter that the great apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians that were living in a town called Ephesus. And just like today, he would have you know, pinned a letter. He actually did it while he was in prison, but he would have pinned the letter and maybe he gave it to somebody to take to the, the leader of the church. Maybe he stuck it in whatever the, the mail service was back in those days, but at some moment that letter would have arrived and the leader of that church, the pastor of that church would have opened that letter and would have sat down and would have read it. And I'm sure uh, that weekend in the church, when the church gathered, and obviously it didn't look like this in the first century, but the church would have gathered together. Paul would have said, hey, folks, I got a letter from Paul. And I'm sure the, the church was excited, and he probably just read the letter. And it could be, maybe, that he decided, you know what, what if we take this letter and kind of break it into a few weeks here, and maybe we'll look at it a little bit more closer over the next month or so, and kind of like what we're doing um, now. I told you last week that you can basically break this letter down, this book of Ephesians down into three major parts. The first major part is what I call the wealth of the believer. The second major part is what I call the walk of the believer, and this is the section that we're in today. And the third major section is what I call the warfare of the believer, which we'll get to in a few weeks, uh, Lord willing. So in this first major section, chapters one through three, Paul tells us that because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're an heir of God, you've been given the mysteries of God's will, you've been given the Holy Spirit, you actually have God's power available to you to navigate life, you have a future home beyond the grave, you're a member of God's church, you have direct access to God, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that we were worldly and dead in, in our sins, that we were followers of Satan, that we were disobedient, we were gratifiers of our own sinful nature, we were objects of God's wrath, we were separated from God and without hope. But God, Paul says, is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life when we raised Christ from the dead. Beloved, all these things and more are really what I'm calling the, the wealth of the believers. Now here's the bizarre thing about all of this wealth that God has bestowed upon us, is we didn't deserve any of it. It wasn't like God looked down from heaven and said, man, what a wonderful group of people, I'm just gonna bless them because they're so good they're so honest, they're trustworthy, you know. No. God in his grace just simply poured out all of these things upon our lives and, and much, much more. Now when you get to chapter four, the tone of the letter changes. Paul now begins to focus on how we should respond to all of these great blessings that God has bestowed upon us. In other words, Paul shares with us how we ought to live in light of these great truths. Ephesians chapter four says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, and in my Bible, I have my name written, I beg you, Rick Countryman, to lead a life worthy of your calling. 
I just think it's really interesting every week when I read this, that when you really understand all that God has done for you, when you really understand chapters one through three, you understand the wealth of the believer. It's kind of sad that Paul knew he was gonna to have to beg us to live God-honoring lives. You'd think it would just come natural. You'd think it would, you know, we would just go, wow, because of all these great things that you've done for us, God. Wow, it's a no-brainer. But Paul knew something about human nature, and here he is saying, look, because of all these things, I'm begging you, Paul says. Live, live a, a God-honoring life. Then he goes on and he shares a thought or two of what a, a God-honoring life looks like. He, he says that it's a life of humility and gentleness and patience. It's a life that bears with one another. It's a life that works hard at keeping the unity of the faith. It's a life that serves others. It's a life that speaks the truth and love. It's a, a life that shares with those that are in need. It's a, a life that speaks words of encouragement to, to, to others. It's a, a life of love and forgiveness, a, a life of thankfulness. It's a life of, of holiness. I've received a number of emails over the last couple of weeks, and you know, I always do this review, kind of rewind the tape, and I go over and over and over this, and a number of you have said, even when I showed up here this morning, man, I'll tell you what, Pastor, I'll, I now got it. I really understand those first three chapters of Ephesians. I, I get chapter four and five. Man, I'm, I'm really getting it because you go over this thing each week and, and I, I just want you to know that I'm only scratching the surface. Yeah, you may have a greater understanding than, than when we first began. I hope that's true. But the reality is you, you could read the book of Ephesians over and over and over and over again and you'll just never get to the, the bottom of the well. But obviously, you, you're learning some things. You're learning some, some great things, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. But here's the deal. You know, I, when this thing's over with, I could just go, hey, we're gonna redo it again. And we'll just find other nuggets from God's word. And, um, but today, uh, Paul's going to give us a, another great thought about how we as believers should walk or live because of all these great things that he's done for us. Okay, so let's read our text, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in your notes. It'll also be up on the jumbotrons. Uh, we just want you to see the word of God for yourself. The Bible says, for once you were full of darkness... For once you were full of darkness. But now, Christian, you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and true and right. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it, it is said, wake up, O sleeper, 
Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those that are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Um, Christian, there's a... There's a lot of stuff between these two leather-bound covers that, that can be hard to understand. Uh, you can have great theologians in the classical sense of the word theologians who, who don't agree on certain things. Uh, but there are other little passages that are just crystal clear. If you have a half a cell working up here, you really can't miss what God's, what God's saying. And this is uh, one of those uh, passages that's just crystal clear. It'd be real easy for me just to go, hey, look, I'm glad that you were here. Let me read the text one more time and then go and, and just enjoy fellowship with one another and, and, and really I, all I can do is mess this up, right? But I'm a preacher, so I gotta say a few things. <laughs> even, even though it's crystal clear. I, I want to give you a, a couple of major uh, thoughts or points that, that I just want to unpack for you. And the first one is this. If you're a follower of, of Jesus Christ, God wants you to live as a person of the light. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there was a moment in your life when you recognized your, 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 your sin and your depravity, you recognize that your sin had separated you from, from God, you recognize there wasn't anything you could do to make the relationship okay, you, you recognize that you were just kind of doomed, and God opened your eyes to the truth that he loved you when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sin, and you invited Jesus Christ into your life, you said, Jesus, I need you. You're the only hope I have. And you humbled yourself before God Almighty and said, God, I, I need your son. I recognize that, that I'm lost. I'm doomed without, without your son. I need your son in, in my life. If, if that happened to you, if it was a genuine moment in your life, if you're a true follower of Jesus, God, God wants you to live as a person of the light. That's not too much to ask, is it? Verse 8 of our text, God says, for, for once you were full of darkness. Rick, there was a time in your life when you were, you were full of darkness. You were evil. You were disobedient. That was your life. One of the things I tell you often is that the teachings of the scripture are this, is that we were all evil, all of us are evil. Some are more evil than others, but we're all evil. The world will teach you that we're all good and some are better than others. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we were all evil, we were all sinful, we all were full of darkness. All of us, we, we were doomed. That's the bad news, and unless you understand the bad news, well, 
really, there's no reason why you need any good news. But the bad news is, is that we were all full of darkness. What Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3 when they blew God off just messed everything up. We're all full of darkness. But now, but now, you have light from the Lord. Now you've received Christ into your life. Now you have the Lord in your life. So, so live like that. Live as people of the light. Beloved, you're a son or a daughter of God Almighty. You're a, one of God's children. You're a, a son or, or daughter of the light. You used to be in darkness. I did. I get it. <laughs> I remember those days. I now have Jesus in my life. He's, he's in my life. God says, Rick, live like that. Live it. Live it out. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, those who walk in the darkness can't see where they're going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time, then you will become children of the light. There was a time in my life I was just, I was just in darkness. Now, I knew where I was physically, I knew I lived in Modesto. I knew I went to Roosevelt Junior High. I knew I went to Davis High School. Physically, I knew where I was, but because I was in darkness, I was lost. Just lost. And there came a moment when God, in his great mercy and love for me, revealed the truth of his son, the light. And I put my trust in the light. You see, I was once in darkness. I was once an unbeliever. But there, there came a moment when I humbled myself, when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, the, the light. Most of you in this room, most of you over in the venue, you've done that. You, you recognized you were in darkness. You, you recognized you needed Jesus Christ in your life, and you invited him into your life. You put your trust in, in him. And in verse 8, of our text today, Paul says, live like people of the light. Live like it. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, he said, don't team up or partner with those that are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we were all temples, uh, we we're all the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Beloved, your, your body houses the, the light. God lives inside of you, and he doesn't want you to live like you used to live. Instead, he wants you to separate yourself from the darkness, your old ways of living, and live like a son or a daughter of the light. And here we have 
God's saying to us, look, I don't want you, if you're a, a son or daughter of mine, to partner up with the darkness. Don't want you to do that. I was uh, with a, a young man, I don't know, he's probably in his 20s, last week, last Saturday night, we were in the, uh, the uh, Welcome Center, and he said, hey, Pastor Rick, I, I really want to know the Lord's will on something, and I said, well, what is, you know, what is it, and you know, what, what are you trying to figure out? And he goes, well, I just, I got this gal, and I really love her, and I'm just trying to figure out if it's God's will if I, if I marry her. And I said, well, you're asking a, a, a great question. It's a weighty moment. And so we opened, I sat down in the little leather chairs, and we opened up, and I read this passage to him. And I said, you know, let me ask you, is this gal a Christian? And he said, no. And I said, well, you've asked a great question. What is God's will? God's will is that you, as a child of the light, wouldn't partner up with somebody in darkness. And so now you know what God's will is. You shouldn't marry this gal. And it was like I kidney punched him. And I watched him just kind of walk into the hallway and just walk away. And I thought of that young, that young rich ruler. Jesus said, go and sell everything you have. And he just kind of walks away like, whoa, hold on here, man. See, there's lots of great wisdom commands from God about those of us that are children of the light. And God doesn't want his children to partner up. I believe you could even take this in a business sense. Becoming a, a partner with somebody in, a, in, a, in the business world with somebody who doesn't know Christ. Colossians chapter one says this, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, if you will, who purchased our freedom and forgave us of our sins. Beloved, you were rescued from the, from the darkness by God. You were rescued from it. You, you didn't rescue yourself. I didn't rescue myself. God rescued us. God pulled us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom. You see, I used to do the deeds of Satan. I don't anymore. I used to be a slave to Satan, but not anymore. I used to come under the same punishment as Satan, but not anymore. I was doomed to spend my eternity in total darkness with Satan, but not anymore. Once again, listen to our text for today. For once you were full of darkness and all the consequences that came with that darkness. But now you have the light of the world this is good news. This is good news. This is why all the songs we sing are about Jesus, and that's why we talk about Jesus, and we're excited about Jesus, and we give, and we pray. woo Because I know I was in darkness. I know it. 
And the light came into my life. And Paul says, now, now, now just remember, live like it now. Live like it, Christian. Live like it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five. He said, Christian, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That's just stupid. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You, you have the light of Christ inside of you. And God, God doesn't want you to live in the darkness anymore. That's like, that's like having a light and putting a basket over the top of it. Well, what good does that do? He wants you to to live in such a way that that light shines out in the darkness. In fact, let, let, me, let me illustrate it for you, for, for you real quick here. Why don't we, can we cut those lights? Let's go ahead and turn the lights off. It's dark in here. And yet, in the midst of this darkness, there's light. And guess what, you, you see all these, these little canisters, these light canisters, and you can't help but look at it, can you? When you're in the darkness, you can't help but look at the light. You're drawn to the light. God wants you as his children to live as people of the light. So that in the midst of the darkness, the midst of all the darkness that's in the world, that people somehow are drawn to you. They're drawn to your life. They look at your life and they go, I don't know what it is about you, but wow, there's something about you. They see the light in you. That makes sense. Let me go ahead and turn up all the lights now. You, you get it, right, Christian? The, the problem is, is when we as believers put a basket over the light in us and we live in sin, we continue in darkness, doesn't do any good. We just become a part of the darkness. Oh, we don't lose our salvation. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But we're just rendered useless for any godly purposes. You see, when the light of God is shining in your life, it's, it's the proof that the world needs to see that you're a true child of God. It's the proof that the world needs to see that God does transform a life. It's the proof that, that God does take people from darkness and puts them into life, light. Because I grew up here in this town, there's a lot of people who whether they believe in God or not, doesn't matter. But they have seen a life that was transformed. Last night, a guy I went to school with was sitting right down here, knows the Lord, he's part of our church. Him and I used to be in the darkness. <laughs> Did a lot of dark, dark things.
I can look at his life and he can look at mine and go, wow, God does take people out of darkness. God puts them into light. I, I can, I've seen the change in his life. He's seen the change in my life. It's a great testimony to have, to go, wow, I was once in darkness. Not today, though. Verse 9 says, For this light within you produces only what is good and true and right. And, and I, I think a, a good question that we can ask ourselves is this, is what's being produced in our lives? What do you see being produced? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all that kind of stuff. Do you see that in your life? Do you see that in your spouse? Do you see that in your kids? Do you see that in your parents? Maybe if you don't see any you know, good things, righteous things, holy things being produced, maybe, maybe that's a sign that you really don't know Christ. Maybe. So my f first major thought was, hey, live as children of the light. Now, my, my second thought is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, God wants you to carefully make choices that please him. And these two kind of go together, don't they? Verse 10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. <laughs> there's just some verses that, you know, you, there's no wiggle room. I mean, you, can you blow that one? Yeah, you can, can't you? God says, I want you to carefully determine what pleases me. Carefully determine it. Paul basically says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, so we make it our goal to please him. See, same, same, same idea. Now let me ask you a question. Where do you think that you'd find all the things that, that pleases the Lord? Do, do you think you'd find them in the movies that come out of Hollywood? <laughs> Probably not. Do you find them in the music that you, you tend to listen to? Depends, you know, there's some great music out there. Do you find it in your favorite TV show? You know, Dr. Phil, Oprah, Ellen, Jimmy Fallon, whatever it might be. You're gonna find the things that please the Lord there. How about, how about this? Did, did you find them in Washington, D.C.? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Beloved, there's only one place that you're going to find all the things that please the Lord. And that's in his word. This is where you find what pleases God. Right here. You have to read the word of God. Got to study the word of God. Got to memorize the word of God. Internalize it, you know. Got to meditate on the word of God. This is where you find what pleases the Lord. It's right here. Now, one of the things I want you to be very careful of is this, Christian. Um, there were a group of men in the New Testament who read the word of God daily, studied the word of God daily, meditated on the word of God daily. Memorized the word of God. In fact, they had the whole Old Testament memorized. They were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. 
And those were the group of people that Jesus hated the most. How could that be? How could a group of people who read the word, studied the word, memorized the word, meditated on the word, how could those people have been the ones that Jesus just struggled with the most? Well, let me tell you how. It's, for them, it just became about black ink on a page. They missed Jesus in it all. You see, the Old Testament was all about Jesus. It was all about the Messiah's coming. The Savior's coming. He's coming. You get to the New Testament. It's all about Jesus. The Messiah's come. The Savior's come. You see, this book really is about Jesus. This book didn't die on a cross for you. Nobody worships this book. This book is inerrant. It's God's word to us, but the, the Bible didn't die on a cross for us. The Bible's not coming back again for us. It's Jesus. And somehow in the midst of their reading the word and studying the word and memorizing the word and doing all that, they missed Jesus in it all. It had just become sterile words and there was no relationship with the creator. And I don't want that to happen to you, my, my sheep. I don't want that to happen. I want you to read the word. I want you to study the word. I want you to memorize the word. I want you to meditate on the word. But I don't want you to miss the relationship with Jesus in it all because you can see in the word how that had happened with a group of people. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And it's in here that we find out what pleases him. And that's the way, God, I just want to please you. I want to have a relationship with you. I, I, I want us to do life together. And I don't want to grieve you. And so it's in this book where we find all the great things that we can do to please the, the Lord. Let me give you a thought or two, just real quick. A few things I found. Um, things that please the Lord. Number one, faith pleases God. Hebrews 11 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. You gotta have a, a belief in him and a trust in him. You gotta go through your life saying, you know what, I may not understand everything. In fact, I'm not even gonna lean on my own understanding. I'm gonna trust in the Lord. There's gonna be a lot of things that happen in your life. You go, man, that didn't make sense to me. Uh, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. Hey, I don't really know why God's allowing that to happen. And you say, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm just gonna believe. God, I'm gonna have faith. I'm gonna trust in you through this horrible thing that's going on in my life or my family or whatever it is. That pleases God. Uh, uh, praying for, for people pleases God. First Timothy chapter two says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our, our Savior. There it is again. That pleases God when you pray for other people, when you pray for leaders and things. Uh, number three, uh, doing good and sharing with others pleases God. Hebrews 13 says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. The Bible says, hey, you carefully determine what pleases me and then do it. 
And in God's word, we find all kinds of places where God says, this is what pleases me. Here it is. Uh, number four, and this is for, for children in here, uh, obeying your parents pleases God. Colossians chapter three says, children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. And I realize, kids, that some of your, your moms and some of your dads, uh, they may not be walking with Christ. They may not even know Christ. Unfortunately, a lot of moms and dads, it's do as I say, not as I do. They're not good examples to you of what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. I understand that. But it pleases the Lord when you honor them anyway. Obviously, if they ask you to do something sinful or something, you're not to do that. God doesn't say, hey, just obey your parents if they're good people or God-honoring people or if they do it all right or, you know, or whatever. No, God just says, you, look, your role is to obey. And I'm going to talk more about this in a few weeks when we get uh, a little deeper into uh, Ephesians. Uh, number five, caring for your own family pleases God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, take care of any widow who has no one left to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And number six will sound a little self-serving. It's not meant to be. But taking care of those that are in ministry pleases God. Paul said this in Philippians chapter four, at the moment I have all I need and more, I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this isn't a comprehensive look at all of the things that please God, but guess what? That phrase is actually used in this book. Here are things that please me. And so you got, a, you, got a, you got an option here today. You can walk out of here going, man, I heard truth today, and listening to truth is easy. Anybody can sit in an audience like this and listen to truth. It doesn't, it doesn't take any energy really to listen to truth. The hard part is getting up out of your chair here in a little bit and doing truth, being doers of the word. That's the hard part. But one of the things that God wants from us, his followers, is that we would you know, carefully determine what pleases him and do it. And this is the place where we, we find those things. And, and number three, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants you to expose evil. Hey, hey, yeah. I don't mind the, the light part, Pastor. I don't mind finding out what's in here and trying to just live it out, but this one, there are some parties I won't be invited to. People will call me a right-wing fanatical, call me a Jesus freak, a bigot. Verse 11. God's word says, Christian, take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, God says, I want you as my children to expose them. Beloved, we're not only to live as people of the light and make choices that, that please him, but God wants us to actually expose the darkness. God wants us to confront sin. 
The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by sin, they're overcome by the darkness, if you will, you who are godly, those of you that are walking in the light, should gently and humbly help that person back on to the right path. Help them to, to get back into living in the light. Obviously, God wants us as brothers and sisters in the Lord to, um, to uh, expose when, when we get off track and we're living in a, in a, in a dark way. To God, it's not okay when a brother or a sister is living in darkness. And God says, those of you that are walking in the light, those of you that are godly, you go and you, you, you have a conversation with them. Just gently and humbly come to them and talk about the, the, the darkness that you see them getting all goofed up in. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18. He said, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Go to them and have a conversation about what's happened. If the other person listens and confesses, they hear it and say, man, I was in the darkness. man," And they come back into the light. You have won that person back. Now, if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses, that the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. This is serious. When Christians choose to live in darkness, it's a serious thing to God. And God says, it's not okay. And when you see it, go and have a conversation with them, talk with them, and if they kind of blow you off, then take a couple other people with you. And, and I don't use the word confront. It's a great biblical word. Unfortunately, Christians really blow it. And I said, I'm, I'm confronting you. And that kind of angry, it's taking on an angry tone in, in the church. Uh, just go and have a conversation with them. And if they still blow you off, then there comes a moment where it ends up, in, in, in our uh, uh, tradition, if you will, it ends up with the elders of the church. And every so often, the elders are made aware of somebody that's living in darkness and has chosen to just blow God off and blow God off and live in darkness and live in darkness. And, and after you know, we've done everything that we could do, they're made aware of it and a letter is written and all the elders have signed it. And it basically says, we're just bummed that you're choosing to live in darkness. And we've tried and tried and tried to, to get you to return to the light and you're refusing and, and, and because of your refusal, that this grieves us, this is so hard for us, but you know what, you're no longer a part of our church family anymore. And when somebody gets that letter, wow, when the elders have all signed it as a representation of the church, and they see that, man, my darkness has caused me to, to you know, be excommunicated, whoa. 
that's, that's kind of like the spanking or putting them in a corner or whatever it is that you might do with a child. This is serious business to God. Living in the darkness as a believer isn't okay. Now, Jesus also said this, and I, I need to share this, okay? In, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, and why worry about the speck of darkness in your friend's eye when you have a log, a lot of darkness in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, that little speck of darkness in your eye when you can't see past the darkness in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And, and th th this is an important passage when it comes to um, uh, going and having a conversation with somebody about their darkness, their sin. Is that God says deal with your own first. Deal with your own. You see, it's always a whole lot funner to deal with somebody else's sin. <laughs> I see your darkness, I see yours, I got yours. And for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know what it is about human beings, but we have a hard time seeing our own. And Jesus says, listen, it's important to confront darkness, expose darkness, it's important. But you wanna make sure you're dealing with your own life before you ever go to somebody else. And one of the things about my job is that it's, I, I expose a lot of darkness in people's lives. It's a weird thing to think about. Before I meet with somebody, before somebody comes into my office or I meet them at you know, a coffee shop or whatever, and I know the point of this meeting is I'm gonna confront darkness. I always spend time, God, help me. What's in my life, God? What darkness is there in my life? What's that log that, you know, has kind of muddied up my own life? And then whenever I sit down with them, I always say, hey listen, before I get into this, I just want you to know I've done, I've done the best I could to examine my own life here. In fact, in examining my life, God revealed a few things that I, I had to repent of. I had some stuff in my life. And so as best I know, my, my life's clean before the Lord. And so right now, I, I now want to talk to you about your darkness that I see in your life. I always begin there. I want them to know I've looked at my own life. Obviously, um, that has implications as for dads, doesn't it? Moms, when you're confronting your children. So I was a youth pastor here for a long time, and one of the things that used to bother kids was when their parents would confront them on their darkness, and yet they just lived dark lives in front of them. They were hypocrites. They were just like what Jesus said. <laughs> Dad, you're talking to me about my sin? <laughs> you don't even see your own, man. Now, children will do what you want, Dad or Mom, even though you're a hypocrite, because they don't want to get in trouble. But they're not doing it because they respect you. They're just doing it because you're, you're in the position of power. And I would always suggest this to a parent. When you're gonna go and confront a child who's in sin, I don't know, they're not doing their chores, they're disobedient, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. 
that you look at your own life, and you may have to sit down with your, your children and say, hey, listen, your, your dad has just spent some time with the Lord, and I recognize there's this going on in my own life. I, I, got, a, I got some trouble in my own life. I have some darkness in my own life, son, and God has revealed it to me. And I'm gonna start working on that. But though I'm struggling with this, I'm still gonna confront you in your darkness. I still wanna to talk to you. But in other words, at least you've acknowledged your own log. That gives you a whole lot more street cred in your kid's life. When, when you as a parent go, you know what, I wanna be honest about my own life. And you don't have to be a perfect parent to confront your children, otherwise you'd, you'd never confront them because no one's perfect. But at least you gotta look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and take it to heart. Uh, listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's, or 5. It's, a, it's really an interesting passage as it relates to all this. He says to these believers, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or unbelievers who are greedy or unbelievers who cheat people or unbelievers who worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you were not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idol or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with these kinds of people. It, is my, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. It's not my responsibility, in other words, to judge unbelievers, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Wow. There is something very unique about the family of God. God says, hey, hey, <laughs> I, I, I need you as light to hang out with darkness. I want you to do life with those that are, that are sexually immoral. I want you to do life with those unbelievers who are you know, goofed up in adultery, who are cheaters or whatever. <laughs> You need to be light to them. How else are they gonna know about light if you don't ever hang out with them? Paul says, it's the believers. When you see a believer in darkness who refuses to repent of their sin and come back into light, those are the people that I want you to be very careful about how you, you know, hanging out with them doing life with them. When a, when, a, when a Christian chooses to live in darkness, it matters to God. And he wants us as believers to go to those within the church and talk with them, have a conversation with them, confront them. Because it's not okay. God wants his church to be pure. God wants his church to be holy. And so we as believers have a responsibility to one another. Paul then goes on and, and says this in, in verse 14. He says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
And I think as Paul was writing this, he began to think about those who would read it, both believers and unbelievers, and he gives this invitation. He says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. In other words, repent of your sins, and Christ will give you his light. In Romans chapter 13, it says this, uh, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is near now than when we first believed. I looked up the, the definition of the word sleep or slumber in the, in the uh, dictionary, and it said this. It said, quote, a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. And unfortunately, I think that can describe a lot of believers, especially believers who are living in darkness. And God says, wake up! Wake up! Quit living in darkness! Repent of your sin! The, the light of my son lives within you! And I think that's the message to believers, but I also think there's an application to, to unbelievers. Wake up! You are in darkness. Total darkness. And you need to invite the light of Christ into your life to cleanse you of your sin, that you might go from being a person in darkness to being a person in the light Paul says in verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't, don't, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. In other words, wake up. Wake up. Don't slumber. Don't just kind of meander around and thinking, well, you know, whatever. God wants us to, to, to be light. Now let me give you one bonus thought here, real, real quick, and I'll wrap it up with this. Why is it so important for people to wake up and live as, as uh, people in the light? It's important because Jesus is coming back soon. That's why. John chapter 14 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. He's coming back. James chapter two says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. It's near. Now, here's the thing. That was written 2,000 years ago. I just know we're 2,000 years closer today than we were when that was written. And I don't know how much more time we have. But while we're here, I think one of the things we have to consider is this, is are, are we as believers living in the light? Are you making good, God-honoring choices with your life? Are you exposing evil when you see it? Or do you just kind of yeah, you know, who am I to judge? Well, God's word all through it tells us where to judge. <laughs> you gotta make judgments. 
You see, the Lord's coming back. Over, uh, over in the venue, why don't, why don't you stand? And I want everybody in here to, to stand. And let me, um, let me just wrap this up by, by, by praying. So close your eyes for just a moment. There might be somebody here and you've never given your life to Christ. And the Lord opened your eyes to the truth that, that you're in darkness. And you've never invited the light into your life. And whether you're in the venue or you're here, we have a room called the altar room. And our pastors and elders, the spiritual leaders of our church are in there. And they'd love to talk with you. It's a place where you can go and say, man, I, I need Christ in my life. It's a place where you can go and maybe get your Bible, first Bible if you don't have one. But the altar room is also a place where believers can go if you need some wisdom on something or maybe there's some sin that's got a hold of you and you're just in the darkness in this one area of your life and you know, maybe you just allow us to pray for you. This is the moment for us to wake up. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Man, I, I enjoyed last night. I, I really enjoyed the music here today, the giving, the fellowship. I, I look forward to next hour, God. And as we, your people here, who name your name, Big Valley Grace is their church. May we walk out of this place and, and think to ourselves, it's time to wake up or stay awake. There's a lot riding on us being people of the light. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, the altar room is, is, is open right now for you, okay?